0: He sat me down when I arrived in New Zealand and said, well, what single malt do you drink? And I said, I, I don't, I'm 19. Um, you know, I didn't consider it something I would drink. And he's like, right. So you cracked open a bottle of uh, Kalila and you said, well, we'll get that sorted then.
1: <laughs> Hello and welcome to Best Sips Worldwide. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, an American travel writer living in London. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, The first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by the history of cocktails ever since. Through the years, I've been lucky enough to sip some of the best made by the best. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let me introduce you to the movers and shakers of the world's most famous watering holes. It took his uncle in New Zealand to introduce whiskey to our guest today. One sip and he was so in love with this stuff that he's made a career out of it. Now, on his first anniversary as brand ambassador for R&B Distillers, Chris Hoban joins us to give us the lowdown on one of the newest Scotch whiskey distilleries to open in 2017.
0: So I'm from Edinburgh, um, but I, I tended to feel that I didn't actually um, do much uh, travelling in Scotland when I was a child. Um, and then when I went overseas when I was 18 or 19, I met a lot of different people who had visited Scotland. And they said, oh, have you been here? Or have you tried this whiskey? Or, if, if, you know, do you know much about your own country? And I was basically like, no, I, I don't. Um, you know, the family travelled, holidayed in the same place each summer and, and that was it. So when I got back, there was an opportunity to become a tour guide at a place in Edinburgh called the Scotch Whisky Experience. And I thought, well, that's great. Whisky, Scotland, you know, they're, they're, they're linked, and I've found more and more learning that they are very, very strongly linked. And that's, that's where it all led to, basically. I was there for two or three years as bartender and uh, tour guide, and then I worked for a couple of different retailers, and then I got an opportunity to join a new distilling company, and uh, R&B Distillers.
1: Yeah. And is there a pressure being Scottish that you have to know everything about whiskey?
0: At, at times, uh, particularly abroad. Um, my uncle, who lives in New Zealand, um, so people that move abroad tend to be quite kind of proud of their, their country and where they're from and kind of feel a big attachment to it. He sat me down when I arrived in New Zealand and said, well, what single malt do you drink? And I said, <laughs> I, I don't. I'm nineteen, Um, you know, I didn't consider it something that I would drink. And he's like, Right, so you cracked open a bottle of uh, Kalila, and you said, well, we'll get that sorted. Exactly. They've been they've been letting you down in Scotland, so we need to uh, you know we need to sort this out basically. Was your father a whiskey drinker? Uh, yeah, he tended to be more more beer. He did drink some some whiskies, and my mum drank things like. Kahlua uh, and the vodka so yeah um, I would say that my family don't necessarily have a huge whiskey drinking uh, background necessarily. Uh, my uncle's quite like the job I've got now because it means I can get them lots of good whiskey at a fair price so yeah.
1: Yeah I'm sure and so you how long were you at the, the Scotch Whiskey Tour?
0: Uh, so I was there for about three or four years uh-huh. as a tour guide and then as a bartender. And uh, did you
1: fall in love with
0: oh very much so i I hadn't really enjoyed school and i hadn't really enjoyed learning in in that respect i just hadn't really you know if you don't find you fit in you don't apply yourself and then you don't enjoy school um whereas when i started learning about whiskey i suddenly it clicked i suddenly realized wow this is something i really want to learn about and something that kind of fits in your head you know and you find it's sticking you know you can you're learning more and more and it's you can retain it Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time as working at the whisky experience I started writing a blog um, called oh. Ed- Edinburgh Whisky Blog a little, mm-hmm. a little plug there um, and I, I founded that with another guy who now works as a brand ambassador um, for Old Pultney Inverhouse Brands um, and we thought well we're tasting so many whiskies because we had 120 whiskies on our bar so we thought well we've got to try them all mm-hmm. we wrote the tasting notes and we put them online and before I knew it I was meeting all sorts of different whisky business people and kind of sort of making a name for myself so yeah, it was great mm-hmm. um, and then I joined an online retailer called Master of Malt oh, of and course. I was a salesman there for about a year you know, trade, trade sales in Scotland and then I joined Royal Malt Whiskies Yeah, Masters
1: of Malt are fantastic because you can buy small ones of tons of different kinds and try them all instead of buying a whole big bottle if you can't
0: yeah, they're really innovative as a company. They do uh-huh. a lot of different things and put in those little samples in the whiskey advent calendars and you know, they're really, really good. Um mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. was then, there a, a, a kind of whiskey that you um, that you loved
0: or, you, you or know, were patriot on to? Yeah, when I when I started drinking it was bourbon. I love bourbon. I think a lot of Scottish, you know, sort of 18-year-olds would drink bourbon because it's kind of foreign and exotic, I suppose. Um, and maybe a little and sweeter. And prevalent and sweeter, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, when I started drinking scotch, I started on smoky whiskey. And um, for about two years, all I drank was smoky whiskey, your mm-hmm. Laphroaig, Gerard Ardbegs. And then I started to broaden into more fruity, sweeter ones. But when generally people ask me what my favorite one is, I say my next one.
1: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it's very rare that you get to join a completely new whiskey yeah, distiller. Absolutely. huh. It must have been really exciting to get that call.
0: It is really exciting. Uh, I mean, the, the idea of being able to get involved in the development of, of recipes and the choosing of casks even things like bottle design, um, you know, label design. We're a small company. There's only really four or five of us involved in the company. So mm-hmm. you really get involved in everything, which is which is fantastic. When did I you think.
1: join? What, what uh, was it?
0: Like? May the 4th be with you. So it was May the 4th <laughs> of uh, last year. So, yeah, uh-huh. that's how I remember. Um, yeah, so I joined uh, May the 4th. Um, so they, as a company, had been going for a couple of years before that. Um, but I joined just as they wanted to start doing more sales. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Had they started blending whiskeys yet?
0: Uh, yeah, so they were buying, um, so the whiskey that we've got in front of us, sorry guys, you can't see it, but it looks great. Um, <laughs> it does. Yeah, uh, the whiskey you've got in front of us uh, is Rassi While We Wait, uh, and that was launched uh, November 2015. So
1: that was their first one they launched?
0: That was their first one, yeah. So okay. they bought casks um, from another distiller. Um, they were after a certain type of recipe, um, they blended, uh, they finished the casks in, in Tuscan red wine, which I guess we'll talk about a bit later. No, no let's
1: talk about it now. Yeah,
0: okay. Um, yeah, so Rassi while we wait, basically, we looked as a company to work with a distiller that was going to get close to the distillery we were trying to build. So, in terms of fermentation times, in terms of peating, and in terms of casks. Mm-hmm. And that takes quite a while because we didn't want to just approach someone and get them to bottle something for us or relabel something. We wanted to actually develop a product with them. So we bought heavily peated single malt whiskey, and unpeated single malt whisky, uh, blended it together, and then finished it in super Tuscan um, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc casks. Um. And
1: is that usual to blend the the peat and the unpeated?
0: Uh-huh. Um Not that usual. Uh, A lot of um, Islay distillers will just go for a heavily peated, for example. You can sometimes request maltsters to do a medium peat on the barley. For us, the company we were working for said, well, we don't have medium peated spirit, so you're going to have to blend heavily peated and unpeated. It actually fits for us going forward, because we're now working with maltsters, so they're the ones that supply the barley. Um, and they've said they can't do medium peat either. They can only do heavily peat and unpeat. Mm. It is just not—it's not the most controlled process. You basically just get an oven and fill it with smoke for about forty-eight hours, and what comes out is generally heavily peated barley. So the best way is to do blending, mm. rather than try and control that part. Um, and yeah. the
1: Tuscan red wine casks—usually yes. it's bourbon or sherry casks, right? Exactly. Um, So where did that
0: idea come from? The idea came, we bought our pot stills from Tuscany. So there's a little pot still producer called Frilly in Tuscany. They've been making for Grappa but they've also made for uh, different distilleries in in Scotland. Essentially there's so many new distilleries coming out that some of the uh, pot still makers in Scotland are just struggling with the sheer demand of it all. Well not struggling, I wouldn't say they would say that, but they might say there's going to be a bit of time, you're going to have to wait. And You can wait for a lot of things in building a distillery, but we couldn't wait for our pot stills. So we looked at what other people were doing and people were working with Frilly. So we looked at their pot still um, factory in, in Tuscany and looked at what they produced. And we thought, well, this is great. This is perfect for the size of distillery that we are. At the same time, Alistair, my boss and the co founder of the company, decided to look around a few vineyards, uh, as you do when you're and in Tuscany. Absolutely, <laughs> why not? And drink some wine. Yeah, I wish I was on the trip. Um, and he tried some fantastic wines um, from a vineyard called Montechiari, Chiari, um, which is not far from Lucca. And he thought, well, the wine tastes great. It's, it's quite punchy, which is useful for imprinting on the cask. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, well, we've got these casks and we're not really using them after three vintages. And he said, well, perfect. Let's experiment with them for Scotch whisky. It ties in nicely with our pot stills, and it's something people don't normally use. So we thought, well, we'll give it a, give it a bash and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, And it's gone? It's gone well. I think uh-huh. that the smoke helps, um, because red wine on its own can take over a whisky. I think it's quite powerful. So I think the smoke just cuts through it slightly and makes it a little bit... Yeah, it can, Red wine cask can be quite difficult to balance, mm-hmm.
1: but you have another whiskey blend as well.
0: Uh, yeah, we've got the Borders grain whisky, mm-hmm. um, yeah, which is quite heavily sherried. So what we did was we took um, ex bourbon casks grain whiskey and then we finished it in little eighty uh, liter sherry casks. And normally a sherry cask is about five hundred liters, so an eighty liter one impacts a lot of flavour very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And you're creating
0: your own distilleries. Yes, yes. So we're building a distillery on Rassay. Uh, Rassay is just off of Skye, uh, so northwest coast of Scotland. If you're driving from Edinburgh, it would take you about six hours or thereabouts. It's a beautiful little island. It's about the same size and shape as Manhattan, uh, so about four miles wide and about 14 miles long. But there's only 120 million, uh, 120 people on Rassay, uh, and... <laughs> That's a big
1: difference from 120 million. Yeah,
0: or even Manhattan. (laughs) And are
1: there any other distilleries there?
0: No, there's no other distilleries there. There's a lady who's been writing quite a lot about the island, and she's got a whole uh, section of one of her books on illicit distilling on the island and supposedly um, so Rasi is just off of Skye which is an island which is just off of the mainland so really if you're travelling to uh, discover illicit distilling you're either travelling from the mainland to Skye or from Skye to, to Rasi so either way you've got a good amount of warning before the, the police get to you, basically, before the excisemen get there. Uh-huh. So apparently what they used to do was the uh, folks on uh, Sky would put their washing out in certain ways to show that the excise man was coming to, to Rassi. Um, Yeah.
1: I mean, how many legal dealers are we talking here?
0: I mean it looked like from the book at least sort of 8 or 10 basically I mean if you've got For
1: 120 people Yeah
0: if you've, if you've got I mean it might have been more like 600 or 700 people at that point because the island used to have more people on it um yeah, but it's still, it's basically, if you had a field and you had barley, then you would just make spirit. I mean, it was something to do in the winter. Um, and you didn't want to pay tax, um, so you didn't, um, basically. <laughs> and if you were remote, thats thats that was the best way to do it. And that's why there's so many distilleries in Speyside. There's loads of valleys to hide all of your pot still equipment, and there's great barley there and great water. So, so now there's
1: going to be competition from the legit one.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know of much illicit distilling anymore. But then maybe you would never know about illicit no, distilling. I guess not. So.
1: But the company R and B Distillers. Yes. Um, why was it started?
0: So it started with Alistair Day. Um, Alistair, uh, he's worked in the food business, sort of food production business, per se. 20 years. Um, but he his great grandfather was a whiskey blender in the in Coldstream in the Scottish Borders. He worked for a retailer it's blending. Now a lot of the blenders started working for shops because what happened was someone would come in and say make me a blend. You know, make me make, make, make me something that's less fiery than all of this highland Illicit distilled stuff. Maybe something that's easy drinking. So John Walker and Son started in a shop in Kilmarnock. Uh, the Bell's started in a, the shop in Perthshire. Uh, the Shivers Brothers had shops in Aberdeen. And what it's- years are we talking? Uh, with Johnny Walker, John Walker and Sons, you're probably talking the eighteen sixties. Yeah, John Walker, because his son Alexander Walker was the one that made it global. So that's like eighteen nineties, nineteen hundreds.
1: And Alistair Day's grandfather, great grandfather.
0: Now so. Alistair Day's great grandfather, um, you're talking the the last recipe in the book is nineteen sixteen. Sorry to mention the book. So oh, Alistair, yeah. the book. Yeah. What's the book? No, it's the book. Yeah. So Alistair inherited the recipe book um, from his great-grandfather, basically. It was uh, at the front of the book, it's a sales ledger. So it says all the whiskey and all the beer that they sold through that shop from the 1890s to 1916, or thereabouts. And at the back of the book, it's almost like they just needed spare paper uh, for recipes. So they've just got all these recipes. And it's got great references to distilleries like Rosebank and Broder and these fantastic distilleries that are still well not exactly producing today but they're still within living memory Um, so Alistair got an idea of what the kind of whisky that is great grandad's was making and he thought wow that'd be brilliant to recreate it so him and his dad also a richard day um sat every christmas for three or four years just having a few drinks and going we need to do something with this book and his dad, one year just said to him well what have you done what have you done with it and alistair got the sort of the kick he needed and he bought nine single casks uh from all over scotland uh lowlands highlands space and Isla. Um, And he blended them together, and he created the Tweeddale, which was the name of his great-grandfather's blend. And that started in 2009. For a few years, he sold that blend and tried to build that brand. Um, And then he thought, well, the next stage is to build distilleries. So he spent a couple of years searching Scotland for someone who was interested in building a distillery. Um, And he met a guy called Bill, Bill Dobby. And Bill's been involved in lots of different tech, finance kind of businesses, um, but wanted to build a distillery and bought, and had bought a property in his mind that he wanted the distillery to be at. And that property was on Rassi, so that's a distillery ah, uh-huh. going to build on Rassi. So he took Alistair up and he said, can you build a distillery here? And the key thing to look for is water. Uh, you need a lot of water to make whiskey. Space for warehousing and space to put the equipment in, and they dug a borehole and they found an awful lot of water directly below uh, the site, so it fitted perfectly. And the view is absolutely fabulous. So
1: I'm sure it must be amazing. And the borders, are you going to have a distillery there as well?
0: Yeah. So Alistair's original plan was to start in the borders, but when he saw um, Bill's site was already there, and it it just seemed perfect. There is a plan to build in the borders eventually. I think. What's kind of happened is because there's only five of us. It's taken most of the energy. is, is taken up with one distillery just now. But once we've got whiskey from Rassi, which should be 2020, uh, we hope to then start uh, sourcing site for the borders and building there. It so. mm.
1: sounds exciting. And how are you going to even pick a place in the borders?
0: Ah, so there was a vote on the website, uh, and yeah. So I've got a buddy. Uh, so. Okay.
1: So, you asked people. We asked the
0: public. Yeah, asked yeah, yeah. the public. I know. Well, at least we didn't ask them to name it, because um, otherwise it would be distillery face. Um, but we asked them to vote somewhere in the borders to choose, and they chose Peebles. Um, so, that's where it's going to be, which is one of the bigger uh, town cities in, in the borders, basically. Uh, and it's quite funny because one of my best friends is from Peebles. So, I sent him a message and I said, Did you just vote from lots of different computers? But yeah, that was the public vote. Yeah.
1: I, I wonder if there are a lot of illicit. Uh, uh, it stills there Yeah,
0: there? well, I mean, the history of borders distilling there was sort of around 200 years ago. There was a lot of distilling in the borders, but then it kind of moved up north as as taxes kicked in, basically, because it's easier to be pursued for your taxes if you're near Edinburgh, because um, that's where the, the the excise men would have had yes, their I base the to begin English with. Yes, the
1: English on the borders weren't going to wave any laundry out there.
0: No, exactly. Yeah. No,
1: <laughs> they probably sent them that yeah. way. Yeah, Just yeah, go, yeah, exactly. Go over there. Yeah. I love that you asked people. And so is there a space in people? Do you think it's going to really happen?
0: I, I think it will really happen. I mean, the okay. barley is fantastic there. That's one of the reasons why we'll probably end up in the, the town centre is because the farmers, nobody wants to sell their land to, because they, they already grow a great crop. But it means we'll have good water and a great crop for making Do you for think it'll be less it?
1: peaty because of it being down south?
0: That's the plan. I and mean, I we, we've looked at a kind of the sort of historical context when it comes to the style we want to achieve. Um, so with the borders it's always been a, a, a sort of more yeah, more fruity, maybe more malty but less peaty style. And then on the islands with Rassi we're aiming to achieve something that's lightly smoked, which is very traditional of, of, of island distilling. Um, I think with both projects, the idea really is to get people involved. So we've got a membership with the Rassay Distillery, where people can come and stay, and they can stay for ten nights, and they can get ten bottles of whiskey. And that's by enrolling in the membership. And you find that the people that enrol in the membership become brand ambassadors, basically. They're so proud of being at the beginning of a distillery project, and they feel really involved. Um, and the same with and there's getting... some place to stay up there? Yes, we're building an accommodation beside the... Well, we've got... Uh, um, a, a Borrowdale House, which was a hotel and that's beside the distillery. So we're renovating that and we're putting in five double rooms uh, tasting room uh, and uh, a viewing gallery uh, for the view. So. Well, all this talk about
1: whiskey has made me very thirsty. Yeah. So I'm going to have to try some of the stuff that's
0: in front of us. I agree. Right.
1: Thanks so much to Chris for letting me sample both limited batches of Rassé While We Wait. Since this is our first scotch distiller on the show, I felt the cocktail of the week needs to be dedicated to that Scottish outlaw and hero Rob Roy McGregor. The Rob Roy blends two and a half ounces of scotch whiskey with three quarters of an ounce of sweet Italian vermouth and a dash of bitters. Pour all of these ingredients over ice in a mixing glass and stir, stir, stir. Strain into a chilled cocktail glass and garnish with a lemon peel. Then raise your glass and utter slantia. That's cheers in Gaelic. Next up on Best Sips, Jonathan Zametabona, Global Ambassador for Langley's Number 8 Gin. They market it as being specifically targeted for the discerning and sophisticated male gin drinker. I'll definitely be asking Jonathan what that really means and how the women who drink it feel too. Until next time, bottoms up for more information and links to everything you've heard about plus a bit more please visit bestbitsworldwide.com thanks for listening to best sips worldwide a spin-off of best bits worldwide always remember the wise words of oscar wilde all things in moderation including moderation and never drink and drive okay i said that last part Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. You'll find me at the bar.